0: Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast. It's me, Jim Hill. This is our show for the week of May 27th, which means in just a few days' time, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge will be opening at Disneyland Park. My partner in crime on this podcast, Mr. Lentesta, will be braving the crowds at Black Spire Outpost. He'll be back with a full report on what there is to do at Batuu in a week or so. But until then, I'm flying solo here and given how poorly solo a Star Wars story did at the domestic box office this time of last year, I don't imagine I'm making any friends at Lucasfilm by bringing up that Ron Howard movie right now. So let's talk about another movie instead. I mean, how do you replace Lentesta, King of the Podcasters? Well, what if I were to tell you the story of Godzilla, King of the Monsters? Particularly the story of when Godzilla almost had his very own attraction at a Disney theme park. This will be a very special edition of Disney Dish Podcast, folks. It'll include an interview that I did back in June of 2016 with former Imagineer Terry Harden, who actually sculpted the head and claw for the ginormous Godzilla AA figure that was supposed to be featured in this proposed theme park attraction. But before we get to my interview with Terry, let's do a quick shout-out to this podcast's newest subscribers, who are Logan7, Trav, and Karen J. Not to mention longtime subscribers to the show, Ethan K., Andrea G., and Russell D. Here's a little-known fact. Logan 7, Trav, and Karen J. are experts at tunneling, while Ethan K., K., Andrea G., and Russell D. are good in tight spaces. And in the tradition of that guy who threw a ladder against Disneyland's back fence on July 17, 1950, 55 and then reportedly charge people five bucks a head to sneak them into that theme park's opening party well let's just say len is out scouting locations behind disneyland's berm even as we speak and if logan seven trav karen j ethan k andrea g and russell d are able to make use of their unique set of talents later this week the back door to batu will be up and running shortly but you didn't hear that from me But what you will hear from me is that today's edition of this podcast is being brought to you by Storybook Destination, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. And if you'd like to start off your summer with some Disney-related fun that isn't, uh, doesn't necessarily involve traveling to Orlando and Anaheim. May I suggest that the Disney Cruise Line Cruise that uh, Storybook Destination has set up for June 19th to the 23rd with Scott Sanders of the DisneyCruiseLineBlog.com. It's a four-night Bahamian cruise on the Disney Dream with a double-dip at Castaway Key, which sounds terrific to me. What's also supposed to be terrific is Godzilla, King of the Monsters. This Warner Brothers film opens in theaters this coming Friday. And according to the early reviews, this Michael Doherty movie is finally the Godzilla film that all of us stateside Godzilla fans have been waiting for, especially those of us who live up here in New England, because, because Godzilla's big throwdown with King Ghidorah happens in Boston. This footage of Godzilla and Ghidorah brawling with the Sitco sign from Kenmore Square in the foreground, not to mention Ghidorah landing at Fenway Park and then knocking down a Dunkin' Donuts billboard. Sox fans especially love the idea that Godzilla King of the Monsters features a scene set at Fenway because the mascot for the Red Sox is, of course, the big green monster. But you're not here to listen to me talk about ballparks. You want to hear me talk about theme parks, particularly any theme park where the Walt Disney Company almost built an attraction that featured Godzilla. And given that Godzilla has been a movie star since he first stomped onto the screen back in October of 1954, uh, the Americanized version of that film, with those awkwardly shoehorned scenes with Raymond Burr. Um, that didn't debut stateside till almost 18 months later in April of 1956. Well, anyway, would it surprise you knowing that, uh, you know, uh, that the Godzilla attraction uh, was originally proposed for one of Disney's studio theme parks? We first learned that the Walt Disney Company was considering building one of these, a studio theme park, back in February of 1995. This was when Michael Eisner, as he presided over his very first shareholders meeting, just four months after he'd been installed as the new Big Cheese at the Mouse House back in September of 84, uh, revealed that the Imagineers were considering building some sort of film production-based attraction at the Walt Disney World Resort which I have to tell you did not thrill the folks at MCA Recreation. They'd been planning on building Universal City, Florida, their very own theme park and resort just down the road from Walt Disney World at the corner of I-4 and Florida Turnpike uh, for quite a while. Uh, MCA Recreation had uh, purchased the, in, the initial 312-acre parcel for that project back in November of 1979, and then they picked up an additional thirty two uh, acres in June of 1981. And MCA officials knew that Michael Eisner knew all about their Universal City, Florida plans, which included studios for movie productions, tour centers for visitors, sound stages, facilities for editing, uh, several stunt show arenas, a museum-like display of Universal's biggest box office hits, an outdoor amphitheater, and a 300-room hotel. And the reason they knew Michael Eisner knew about their Universal City, Florida plans was because on July 29, 1981, Eisner sat in at a meeting that was held in the Jack Webb Bungalow on the Universal backlot, where MCA officials tried to persuade Paramount Pictures to come in as their financial partner on the Universal City, Florida project. And since Michael Eisner was the president and chief operating officer of Paramount Pictures at that time, he, of course, got an invite to the super-secret confab and was shown everything that Universal Creative already had in the works for Universal City, Florida, theme park and resort project. Eisner, of course, to this day denies this, claims that he was never at this meeting, but I've been shown copies of the official itinerary for this two-hour-long presentation, And Michael's at least listed among the participants, so he got an invite. Um, Anyway, we're not here to relitigate whether Michael Eisner stole the idea for Disney-MGM Studios' tour and backlot. That, by the way, was the original name of the Florida version of this project, by the way. What I can tell you is that when the plans for this $300 million project were officially unveiled by Disney in July of 1985... The folks at MCA Recreation and Universal Creative were not happy. Eisner, on the other hand, was very, very pleased with the project. So much so, he began talking of the MGM Studio theme park as Parks and Resorts' next big franchise. Now, the original Disney-MGM theme park opened to the public on May 1st, 1989, and by November of that same year the consortium of bankers who were building the Euro Disneyland resort out in that beet field 20 miles to the east of Paris committed to building Disney MGM Studios Europe which was originally supposed to open in 1995 but then due to all the financial hardship that Euro Disneyland suffered after its April 1992 opening the opening of Disney MGM Studios Europe got pushed back first to 1996 and then got postponed indefinitely. Disneyland Paris' second gate wouldn't open till March of 2002, but by then, Disneyland MGM Studios Europe had an entirely different name. It was then called the Walt Disney Studios Park at Disneyland Paris. Okay, so when does Godzilla actually start stomping into the story? Patience, we're getting to that part, which actually starts on April 15th, 1988 which was on the 5th anniversary of the opening of Tokyo Disneyland. At an event commemorating this theme park's 5th birthday, Masatomo Takahashi, the then president of the Oriental Land Company, the Japanese firm that licensed the rights to build a Disney theme park on the chunk of landfill at the edge of Tokyo Bay, announced to the press that they were planning on building a second theme park. This was, of course, music to Michael Eisner's ears, because as we've mentioned earlier, he was looking to turn the Disney MGM Studio theme park into Parks and Resorts' next big franchise. So Eisner begins a full court press on Oriental Land Company officials, inviting Takahashi and other senior executives from his firm over to Orlando to, t- to attend all of the opening day festivities for Disney MGM. Now, this is late April, early May of, of 1989. And en route, Masatomo and his team stop in L.A. for a few days, where the Imagineers want to pitch them, uh, you know, the Oriental Land Company executives, on what Disney, MGM, Studios, Japan would look like. Um, But because the Orlando version of this movie-based theme park would only have a handful of ride shows and attractions ready for its opening day, well, while they were in town, the Imagineers took the Oriental Land Company execs over to Universal Studios Hollywood, with the hope that they'd then get a sense what a mature version of a Disney-designed studio attraction would possibly look like after five to ten years of construction. And Takahashi and his team, they really liked Universal Studios Hollywood, especially the tram tour, particularly one component of the tram tour that had a very big Disney tie which we'll get to right after this commercial break. And we're back. And when the Oriental Land Company guys got back to 1401 Flower Street for their post-visiting Universal Studios Hollywood debriefing, all they could talk about was the King Kong encounter and how much they'd enjoyed that part of the Universal Studios tram tour. For those of you who don't remember this part of the tram tour, which sadly burned up during that awful fire that happened on the lower lot back in June of 2008, the King Kong Encounter was housed in this 26,000 square foot show building, which was added to the tram tour back in July of 1986. This part of the tour featured a 30 foot tall, 7 ton animatronic version of King Kong that Disney legend Bob Gurr helped design and build. And guests riding on Universal Hollywood's tram tour got so close to this figure's 10-foot-tall head that they could smell King Kong's banana-scented breath. Like I said, Masatomo and his team just loved this portion of the Universal Studios Hollywood tram tour. So much so, they insisted that the tram tour that the Imagineers were planning on building for Disney-MGM Studios Japan also have a King Kong encounter as well. But here's the thing, Disney didn't have the theme park rights to King Kong. That was a Universal exclusive. But what if they were able to acquire the theme park rights to an equally large movie monster, and then build a scene along the tram route for Disney-MGM Studios Japan, where guests could then be menaced by a giant animatronic version of that movie monster? This is where Godzilla finally officially enters their story. Disney proposed reaching out to Toho Studios, and that's the Japanese-based studio that, over the last 65 years, has produced 32 Godzilla movies. Take that, Marvel Cinematic Universe. And if they could acquire the theme park rights to this monster, they'd then build an animatronic version of Godzilla, which could dazzle guests at Disney, MGM Studios, Japan. And, of course... If this oversized animatronic was going to have to dazzle guests, there was really only one person at Walt Disney Imagineering in the late 1980s, early 1990s to sculpt it, and that was artist Terry Harden. Terry today is much beloved within the Disney fan community. And that's just because these days, Ms. Hardin gives ridiculously entertaining presentations where she talks about her days working at the Jim Henson Company on shows like Dinosaur for ABC, or for that matter, the, the puppeteering that Terry did on Captain EO. No, as gifted as Ms. Hardin is as a speaker and a performer, she's also an amazing sculptress. She helped design key elements for the Muppet Vision 3D Theater, not to mention the late lamented extraterrestrial alien encounter for uh, Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom. Um, But where Terry enters our Godzilla story comes right after she'd helped sculpt the mountains for Disneyland Paris' version of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad, which is right in the middle of their, their rivers of the far west. Um, Not to mention that she'd also done an amazing job on the Dragon's Lair, which is under Sleeping Beauty Castle in that same theme park. Truth be told, it was her amazing work uh, that she did on that dozing dragon in that dank cavern that caught people's eye at WDI and made them think, maybe Terry's the right person to tackle this Godzilla project. Here, I'm going to let Ms. Harden herself explain how she got the job. More importantly, what... Disney-MGM Studios Japan's Godzilla Encounter would have been like. Just so you know, I recorded this interview back in June of 2016 when Terry and I were both guest speakers at that year's Dayton Disney Anna event. Just so you know, the uh, 2019 edition of this show is just 10 days away at this point and will be held at the Hope Hotel and the Robert C. Holbrook Conference Center in Dayton, Ohio on June 8th and 9th. Anyway, here's Terry Harden and her tale of working on the Godzilla sculpture for Walt Disney Imagineering, though oddly enough, as Terry will explain, due to the design scope of this project, she didn't actually get the chance to sculpt Godzilla's tale.
1: We come to the point where Godzilla happens, and what happens is that I am released mm-hmm. from Imagineering for about a year. Mm-hmm. They say, don't need you anymore,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh basically okay. and at that point I go work for Donald Trump mm-hmm. not as a campaign manager but as a uh, uh, he had a um, casino in uh, Atlantic City and he had a sign he had to have made that was I guess as big as the casino it was this huge sign and uh, and uh I got a call, and they said, you need to appear at this location. And it, was like a, it was like a hotel,
2: mm-hmm. like
1: the parking lot behind a hotel. There was like a little table there. Mm-hmm. And you would come around this little shed, and you would interview there.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And uh, they said, this is what it's going to be. You're going to get paid this amount of money. You're only going to work 40 hours. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be about a month's worth of work, and it ended up being two months' worth of work. Mm-hmm. And the money was uh, ridiculously wonderful, mm-hmm. and the hours were ridiculously fantastic and so you were a very happy person coming to work very cool. so then I get a call Splash Mountain Tokyo is happening we're having real challenges with this project it's three weeks behind mm-hmm. Tokyo's not happy I need you to come in and interview for that you're the best person for the job Okay. so I interview for that and I work on that and while working on that I meet a wonderful man named Don Carson who is responsible for the sketches for Toontown yep. Anaheim and he says, you're never going to believe it. My wife is going to come and work with you guys. Mm-hmm. In, uh, finally, she's going to be an imaginary. Mm-hmm. And she was painting these strips of paper. Mm-hmm. This was her job. She comes in, and she's painting little strips of paper. So imagine a thin roll of scotch tape mm-hmm. cut in two-inch l- length. Mm-hmm. So I'm saying scotch tape not because it was scotch tape, mm-hmm. but that was the, the size, size of yeah. these little papers. Mm-hmm. Then she would put a hook on them, and hang them in a diorama mm. for the interior of Splash Mountain. It represented the leaves. So she would paint lime green, forest green, and hunter green. Lime green, forest green, hunter green. Hundreds of thousands of these ridiculous strips of paper. And I walk over and say to her, is this what you thought your job was going to be? Is this her job? She says, no. Mm. So I said, well, artists have to help artists. And just then I got the call Mm -hmm. that I was going to be moved Mm -hmm. to the sculpture Mm -hmm. unit. I had been vying for the sculpture department for quite some time. Mm -hmm. And finally the word came down that I was going to move there. And I was actually given Blaine Gibson's cubicle. Oh wow! So now I'm working in my hero's cubicle. Mm -hmm. And for the first four days I didn't have anything to do Mm -hmm. but sit in the cubicle. And they said, well, he's got books of his Mm
2: -hmm.
1: process. If you're interested, if you're not. Okay. submit. So uh yeah. So I flip I poured over those pages for those I, I to have that opportunity with nice. Bios. <gasps> this is the thing that's nice about Imagineering. I was like, "Oh my god, my heart's beating like a rabbit. Mm-hmm. I'm so excited." Um few projects come down, but then finally they say we're going to do Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Uh the Japanese as I understood it had gone to Universal Studios mm-hmm. and seen King Kong. Right. Smell the banana breast mm-hmm. as your tram, and he rocks it. And they love that. So they thought it would be great if they built a oil tanker mm-hmm. or a uh, tanker that carries truck containers, mm-hmm. that the premise would be that it's getting ready to go out of port to mm-hmm. points unknown, and your tram would pull up, and then all of a sudden you'd hear the... Mm-hmm. And you'd look around, and then all of a sudden up would pop, this Godzilla's head and Mm -hmm. the claw grabbing it and then and of course you're going mad Mm -hmm. and he starts to open his mouth and his coils start to glow Mm -hmm. as he pushes down on the ship Mm -hmm. and your tram slides closer and closer and closer to Godzilla so at Imagineering we build models of Mm -hmm. this and I was given the wonderful uh, job to build that Godzilla model so Mm -hmm. the claw and the head of Godzilla. Now, how did you do the research? Now, I love Godzilla. Okay. Love, love, love Godzilla. Ever since I was a tiny little kid, Mm -hmm. I love Godzilla. And my favorite one is Son of Godzilla, which a lot of people don't like, but I adore that one because he blows smoke rings and then dad steps on his tail and he he learns how to breathe fire. And I just love that sequence. Okay. So... You, there's different Godzillas. No, absolutely. And I love the kitty cat Godzilla from Gojira, mm-hmm. which was the original film that then they put, called yep. a Godzilla. Yes. I don't need to tell Godzilla fans that. They know mm-hmm. this. But my point is, I love that face. Yes. But that was not the face that a lot of other people like. So there was a spillikin mm-hmm. which is a model, a well-known model company in Tokyo, mm-hmm. heartthrob of mine, mm-hmm. and they did one I absolutely adored. Mm-hmm. So I... Uh, Disney gave me petty cash Mm -hmm. to do the research, however research I wanted. Back then, there was no internet where you could pull photos down and stuff. So I went down to Little Tokyo and bought a Billiken model of my favorite Godzilla. And then later, Disney said, we're not going to do nothing with it. Why don't you keep it? So Mm -hmm. I still have it. That's my favorite one. Wow.
2: Okay.
1: So that's what I did. I used the Billiken model Mm -hmm. as my main reference Mm -hmm. for that Godzilla. And then I have photos of it with and without teeth because they wanted to have it photographed textured no teeth and then put teeth in mm-hmm. to decide whether or not they wanted to make the teeth out of a different material. Now,
3: just to be clear, here, the the setup for the ride, I and mean, I, I love the conceit of the container ship and the claw and the head and the coils. Mm-hmm. But did your tram vehicle roll onto the ship? Was that the idea? That yeah. The, okay.
1: They drive onto it and the lights kind of come up. Yes. Yeah. I guess. It's kind of, it's unlike the trams, mm. if you've ridden the trams in um, uh, Los Angeles, mm-hmm. and I don't know about Orlando, but mm. but the King Kong, which I was part of that too, so yes. talk about coming through circle, yeah. I had helped build that King Kong. The Bob Gurr one? The Bob Gurr, well, Bob Gurr repaired the mm. one, I believe, that was restored, but maybe I'm wrong, but the Bob Gurr one. I was in there doing fur and fabric for the, while for the one he in was Hall- in there for the, the Hall- one in Hall- Universal. Hall- Wow. Yeah. Okay. So here we are, ships passing in the night, and that's what happens to artists. Mm -hmm. But the idea was to pull up and go, wait a minute, where are we? And Mm -hmm. the lights come up, and they're on a tanker. Yep. And then they slide. Mm -hmm. That was the thing that was really going to be cool, was that they were no longer going to drive towards Godzilla, Mm -hmm. who in their right mind would do that. Yep. They were going to slide. Mm -hmm. And the actor, of course, Mm -hmm. driver, oh, no, look. And point out all this stuff to those who might not have seen Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Look, glowing gold. What do we do? You know, I don't know how they ever got out of that mm-hmm. situation. But to be given Godzilla was like, wow. I mean, I remember going home and telling my husband, you know, mm-hmm. woo, you're not even going to believe the thing that I got this time. Mm-hmm. And to bring it full circle for your listeners, I asked to pick mm-hmm. the person who could paint it.
2: hmm
1: I could have painted it myself, mm-hmm. know that little secret, mm-hmm. but I wanted this young lady to have mm-hmm. Dawn Carson's wife to have the opportunity to paint it. Do you remember it. what
3: her first name was?
1: can't remember, and okay. she's going to bot me because it was probably something like Dawn, D-A-W-N. Okay. Right. Dawn and Dawn. But, uh, but she was just a lovely, lovely lady, and mm-hmm. I wanted her to do, get more out of imagining mm-hmm. and... Once she painted that, mm-hmm. it got the eyes of Minnie, and then they asked her if she painted anything else, and she opened up a portfolio, which I had already seen, mm-hmm. that had these beautiful animal illustrations, and she was flown down to Florida to help design Animal Kingdom.
2: Isn't that great?
1: So that was, and she said, thank, thank you very much. So karma points, yes, mm-hmm. but artists should always help other artists.
3: Very cool. All right, let's talk, now when you made the head, you made the model, it, it was a one inch to one foot scale, what, what, what was the, did, did you get a sense I think
1: it was something crazy like a quarter inch to the foot or something, so it was only about mm-hmm. nine inches, the head, Okay. the claw was only about, and the claw was in proportion to that.
3: Okay, so, but do they give you any sense, you know, when they were talking about the traction, how big the head was going to scale up from your your model?
1: Yes, because what happens is, I'm in the sculpture... If you want to look at the layout of Imagineering Sculpture Studio, is mm-hmm. isolated in a corner, mm-hmm. and then the model shop is over on the other side. Okay. So the model shop people invited me to see mm-hmm. the scale model of it once yep. the head was painted mm-hmm. and sent over the model shop, and you could see how huge. In other words, you could have driven mm-hmm. the tram into the throat of the Godzilla. He was that. You're talking
3: with like a, a forty or fifty foot. He was tall. huge. Dear
1: yeah. lord. Yeah, it was incredible, and when you saw the model, yep. the modelers at Imagineering are, you know, creme little creme. Yep. Everyone at Imagineering is. That uh, they had actually show, done mm-hmm. uh the epoxy resin, the two part to yep. make the water around the you know, the way, water around the pylons and wow. and around the ship and around okay. Godzilla. It looked phosphorus. Okay. So you were you're blown away by it. And then that model is then sent
3: Now, But again, just to be clear here, you designed the claw and the head. There was a portion of the body as the ship tilted that you were able to see. I mean, literally, this is a creature that's only supposedly risen up out of the water. But again, this is stagecraft. So, yeah, uh, body
1: and chest were done by someone else. Okay. Yeah. Okay. For the model purposes, because it wasn't moving, mm-hmm. we just did head out of the water and claw out of the water. Got it. And the ship tilted so that they would get the idea that the pulling
2: yep. okay. was coming
1: down, and then you'd see skid marks. Yep. So to illustrate that the the tram was sliding.
3: That is so clever. Do you, do you, can you remember the year this was when? Uh,
1: let me think. Probably. Around 92. Okay. Somewhere in there. Yeah, I'd say somewhere in the 92. That's
3: definitely in the window that they were talking about the studio. And more to the point, you know, that they did talk about doing a tram tour as part of the Tokyo uh, Disney MGM. Okay. But, again, you're an engineer. You know. You work on things. They are wonderful. And then suddenly they're not being made. So did you, I mean, again, you did your job. You handed it off. Uh how far down the line did you hear that they weren't going to do it?
1: I think I had left imagineering when I heard that it. Was, they kept saying, "Well, we're postponing. Well, we're postponing. Still on the books, mm-hmm. but we're postponing." And I wanted to go and write it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I
1: I wanted to kind of mm-hmm. put together both my splash and my my splash mountain ride, mm-hmm. which I had done main drop, and the Tokyo Second Gate, so mm-hmm. I could ride Godzilla as well, mm-hmm. kind of together. But it it kept going, and then the next thing you know, they said, "Well, we've decided that it's not there." This is the thing: they tell you one thing, mm-hmm. and then you wonder what the truth is. Yeah. But they said there wasn't enough interest, and I really find that hard to believe. And Since yeah. in Japan there's a statue erected to Godzilla. No, that's exactly. I mean, <laughs> you what
3: know, the hell? They just opened that hotel with, you know, Godzilla head on the roof. You can you can get the penthouse with Godzilla looking in at you.
1: In 2007, Uh, when I sold my Star Wars collection, we had made enough money to go first class through Tokyo for Mm -hmm. a month. And when I was there, they had a ceremony, uh, a passing of the baton, if you will, from the man who had played Godzilla all these years, the old man, to the new superformer of Godzilla, and we witnessed it. Uh, So I knew that that was a press release. Mm -hmm. Statement to me, not the reality of why Tokyo Second Gate
2: didn't happen with Godzilla.
0: Okay. You want to know why Disney MGM Studios Japan didn't actually go forward? Here's the official explanation from the history page at the Oriental Land Company webpage. It says, Initially under consideration was a theme park similar to the Disney MGM Studios. Although things seemed to be progressing smoothly under this plan, the concept came under reconsideration in 1991. After further consideration, a new theme based on the ideas of the Seven Seas was born in 1992. This became the basis of what we know today as Tokyo Disney Sea Park. In developing a second theme park, we were searching for a plan that would create a new market by providing a completely different experience from Tokyo Disneyland, one that was better suited to the Japanese people, making them want to return to the park again and again. With this objective, we began to set sail toward the creation of a Disney park themed around the sea. Now, what I've been told by the Imagineers, uh, who, you know, had to deal with this sort of change in direction, was that Oriental Land Company executives were very resistant to the idea that Disney, MGM Studios Japan would take theme park guests behind the scenes to show them how their favorite films and TV shows were actually produced. Again, from the guys at WDI, Takahashi reportedly said that the people of Japan don't want to learn about how their entertainment is made. They just want to be entertained. Now, what's intriguing about all this is over the past 30 years, the original Disney-MGM Studios theme park, now Disney's Hollywood Studios in Florida, that's also abandoned this whole take-you-behind-the-scenes concede. In fact, if you look at the recently opened Toy Story Land at that theme park, or for that matter what guests are supposedly going to be able to do once the Walt Disney World version of Star Wars Galaxy's Edge opens on August 29th of this year, Uh, What the Imagineers now seem to be trying to do with Disney's Hollywood Studios is is not take people behind the scenes, but put them right in the middle of the action. Anyway, um, once all of this talk of Tokyo's second gate switched over to that seven seas idea, the concept of incorporating a giant Godzilla animatronic into this theme park slowly got pushed to the back burner. Though, as I understand it, some of the initial design that went into that super tanker that was supposed to be tied up at the dock, or that, that Godzilla was supposed to rise up next to and attack, did get incorporated into the SS Columbia, that uh, 420 foot long recreation of a steam powered luxury liner from the early 20th century. That's, uh, you can find that in the uh, American Waterfront area of that theme park. Do keep in mind, though, that at one point, Tokyo Disney Seas was supposed to have an eighth port added called Glacier Bay. And the gimmick of this land was that it was supposed to be entirely encased in ice. And you know who else was once entirely encased in ice? Godzilla. That's what happened at the very end of the second Godzilla film that Toho produced, Godzilla Raids Again, which was released to theaters in April of 1955. Godzilla got buried in an avalanche of snow and ice and supposedly froze to death at the end of that film. Did I say froze to death? I meant forced into hibernation. Because that's what happens in King Kong vs. Godzilla, which was the third Godzilla film released to theaters in August of 1962. And at the start of that film, we see the Seahawk, which is this U.S. submarine. It gets caught under an iceberg, and as an attempt to, to break free, the Seahawk cracks open that iceberg and... Who comes tumbling out into the drink but the now awake Godzilla? Now, where this gets interesting is just as Walt Disney Imagineering was dealing with the Oriental Land Company executives who no longer wanted a second gate for Tokyo Disneyland Resort uh, that took guests behind the scene and showed them how their favorite movies and TV shows were made, uh, but rather a theme park with the Seven Seas theme, uh, which, by the way, Oriental Land Company executives evidently felt would be a far better fit thematically for an expansion pad that faced on to Tokyo D- Disney Bay, or excuse me, Tokyo Bay. Um, again, this is nineteen, late 1991, early 1992. Anyway, uh, October of 1992, TriStar Pictures announces that they have acquired the uh, American movie rights to Godzilla from Toho Studios. Uh, the plan here is TriStar wants to make a trilogy of films that we will have Godzilla attacking major cities in the United States, like uh, San Francisco and New York. And, and who do they hire to write the screenplay of the first film of this proposed trilogy? Ted Elliott and Terry Ruscio. Now, if you're a Disney fan, you definitely know Ted and Terry's names. They're the guys who helped John Musker and Ron Clements fix their screenplay for Aladdin, not to mention most of the scripts for the Pirates of the Caribbean film series. And Elliot and Ruscio, they wrote a really great Godzilla script, one that Jan de of of Speed fame was going to direct. But when he left the project in December of 1994, because TriStar suddenly had concerns with, you know, how high the budget uh, for the stateside Godzilla film was getting, uh, who did TriStar end up replacing John with uh, in May of 1996? Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, who at that time had just finished writing, directing, and producing Independence Day, which would be released in theaters uh, just a month later in June of 1996 and then go on to be the highest grossing film of that year. Unfortunately, after Roland and Dean came on the stateside Godzilla project, they totally rewrote Ted and Terry's script. Though, given the way that the rules of the Writers Guild work, even though Emmerich and Devlin had basically ditched the entirety of Elliot and Russo's screenplay, uh, Ted and Terry still had to be credited for having come up with the original story for this movie. Which is a shame, because Godzilla's original introduction in their version of the movie would have been epic. Not to, lend, not to mention, lending itself beautifully for a Disney theme park attraction. Okay, picture this. A scene high up in the Arctic, I'm reading from uh, Ted and Terry's original screenplay, by the way, now, folks. Our heroes, Tucker and Keith, clamber down ladders deep into a fissure inside of a glacier. They eventually find themselves in a huge cavern carved out of ice and earth, lit up by a string of bare lights that stretch away in both directions. The wall opposite the fissure is imposing and strange, made up of crevices and finely textured stone, markedly different from the ice wall on the ceiling. Something beyond Tucker has caught Keith's attention. Apparently, it's a smaller cavern. Inside are weirdly regular rows of stalagmite and stalactites. Keith moves inside, examining them. Tucker pointedly stands outside. Keith says, this is the strangest stalactite formation I've ever seen. Tucker says, those aren't stalactites. Keith gives him a puzzled look, starts to really examine the cavern, and... Tucker, really enjoying this revelation, says, their teeth. Keats' eye widen. He suddenly sees what's been in front of him all along. He's standing inside of a giant mouth. He scrambles out to stand beside Tucker. Uh, the two men then clamber up a ladder that actually takes them up onto Godzilla's muzzle. Uh, the, the monster's eyes are closed. and as But as they step up there. That long string of electrical lights that I mentioned earlier uh, illuminating this, this ice cavern flicker and dim. We, we hear uh, a, the generator that's powering the lights stutter and then kick back on. But, but as a result, the lights dim. And as, as this long string of lights begins to get back to full brightness, we see Keith and Tucker still standing on Godzilla's muzzle. But as they continue to talk... Behind the two men unnoticed, there is movement, as in the monster's eyelid opens and it's 10 feet across. And then a second semi-transparent protective eyelid slides away, revealing Godzilla's iris and slit pupil glinting wetly. Um, the pupil dilates it and, and then focuses. And now the electric lights come back on full strength and the pupil contracts and this giant eye blinks and then focuses in on Tucker and Keith standing on Godzilla's muzzle, and then, as you imagine, you know, all hell breaks loose. Um. Anyway, as I understand it, Ted and Terry deliberately slipped a copy of their version of the stateside Godzilla screenplay to Walt Disney Imagineering, which was what then led WDI to explore the idea of a, an attraction within the Glacier Bay area at Tokyo Disney Seas where you'd have seen modern-day scientists who had discovered Godzilla, you know, buried down deep in the ice, frozen. And, and you as a guest would be invited to go down into this fissure where the, the scientists are, are studying the still-sleeping creature who would then accidentally be awakened. And then just like that scene in Russo and Elliot's screenplay, all hell would have broken loose. Um unfortunately, Glacier Bay, which was supposed to be built as part of phase two of Tokyo Disney Sea Park, never made it off the drawing board. And given that the expansion pad that had previously been held back for this theme park's eighth port is now going to be used for fantasy springs which is the new land for this theme park uh, that was announced last year and will be built around characters and stories from uh, Disney's Peter Pan, Tangled and Frozen. Well, it would appear that Disney is trading one box office behemoth, Godzilla, for another, and that's Queen Elsa of Arendelle. Anyway, that's the story of the Godzilla attraction that Disney Imagineering was looking to build as part of the Tokyo Disney Resort Second Gate. Special thanks for Terry Harden for sharing her part of the Godzilla tale. Uh, By the way, if you'd like to experience Ms. Harden's artistry firsthand and have her guide you in the creation of a first-class jack-o'-lantern, please mark your calendars for October 26th and 27th. That's when Terry will be at McGrath Street Pumpkin Patch in Ventura, California from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And maybe if you ask nice, Ms. Harden will teach you how to carve a Godzilla-inspired jack-o'-lantern. On the other hand, if you want to learn more about what Terry is up to these days, please go check out her website, which is terryhardin.com. That's T-E-R-R-I-N-H-A-R-D-I-N.com. And that is this week's episode of The Disney Dish. Again, I apologize for this being a Lend-Free episode. Hopefully, Mr. Testa will be back in time to record our next show, but I think that really depends on how long the lines are out in Anaheim for Oga's Cantina. Um, If you like what you heard today here, uh, please head over to iTunes and rate and recommend our show. Better yet, swing by Bandcamp and subscribe. Also keep in mind that there are a lot of other fun shows here at the Jim Hill Podcast Media Network. Uh, They include Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, Looking at Lucasfilm with Dan Z, Universal Joint with Dustin Fuse, I Want That, which is our brand new merch show that I co-host with Michelle Valladolid, and Marvelous Disney, which is co-hosted by the amazing Aaron Adams, who edits most of the shows here at the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. That's it for today's folks. Thanks for listening, and we will talk again soon.